morning, everybody. Good morning. Good to see you fine souls this morning. You'll turn to page one. Does everybody got their new study guides? Amen. Amen. We're in this new quarter. Now, Haven was was out of commission this last Wednesday, and so I done a lesson with the youth. Um, some things that God had been dealing with me about, and, and, and we did we were over there on Wednesday night. I opened up my lesson book, and the exact same scriptures that I was using Wednesday night we're using this morning. Now that's you know we talk about a lot of interconnection. I'm telling you that's some interconnection. Yeah, and, it, and, it's, Come on. and it's now you know we've talked about the messages that Pastor brought and he's inspired him with, and the things that God has inspired me with, and then it ends up coinciding and working together. Now you should know that the same word that you're getting, the youth is getting. God is working yes. in all yes. facets of our classrooms. And I just thought that was neat. I mean, it's, yeah. you, you, not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. It's divine. And so I just wanted to share that with you. So you know that a lot of the things that we're talking about here this morning, we talked about just this last Wednesday night. So I really <laughs> think that's amazing. Um, page one in our study guides, walk in fellowship with God. Central truth is that Christians are called into fellowship with God and other believers. Under Let's Get Started, it says the New Testament books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were letters written to the Apostle John in a caring, pastoral tone to encourage believers to remain faithful to the truth. As someone who walked with Jesus day by day, John specifically described God as life, light, and love. He also provided valuable insights for Christian living. And, and we're going to be talking about some of these, some uh, what what I like to refer to as practical uh, insights. Um, I like practicality when it comes to God's word. Yes, we are spiritual people. You cannot be, uh, a, you know, we're, we live in physical bodies, but we're spiritual people, you know, on the inside. So we we seek this, the the interaction with the spiritual realm, the godly realm, and being close to God. We we seek those things, but we also live in a practical world where. A lot of things that are going on today are just flat unpractical, and and it's a it's a call back, and it has been, it's been for a while now, uh, it's been in Rock Harbor, uh, in our country, uh, a call back to practicality, and, and a call back to the simplicity of the things that are are fundamental to life, just just making good decisions, and. Not really making them for any other reason other than the fact that you know this is what you're supposed to do. Just go do it. That's that line right there. You can ask my kids. That's the line that I raised them on. You know what you're supposed to do, so just go do it. And it's like, I don't have to keep telling you what the practical part of cleaning your room is. It's just practical. You're just supposed to do it. I don't have to tell you uh, about the practical side of treating someone else with respect. Because it's practical. But yet here we are talking about and having to be taught practical things again. And, I, and I'm saying that because I think all of us need a good reminder of what the practicality of Christian walk is. It's like the, the practicalness of uh, praying, practical uh, reading, uh, Practical decision making in the spirit realm, just common sense moves. You know, remember we used to make fun of people, and I I say that respectfully. You know, we'd laugh and say, you know, someone would say, well, I'm looking for a job, and I'm praying God send me a job, but you never actually go out and look for a job. It's unpractical, and I and, and we laugh at that. But yet, there's a lot of people that do that today. They have a an air of super spirituality, <coughs> an air of being on top of everything in the spirit realm, but yet they don't do the practical things. Which to me, church, look it. It just doesn't make any sense if we can't actually do the simple things. That just makes sense. It just makes sense. This is the way you're supposed to do it. So that's really what we're, we're getting into on walking and fellowshipping with the Lord and then walking in fellowship with other people. Let me, let me also add to this. If you'll notice under the central truth, it says Christians are called into fellowship with God and, and, and other believers. Um, I made this point, I think it might have been last week or the week before last. It's, it's, um, it's contradictive. It's a contradiction of, of your belief system to say that you're in love with God, but you can't stand being around the people of the same faith. That's unpractical. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. 
Now, I understand that sometimes you are around people that upset you or frustrate you or they do things that make you uh, angry or mad or whatever, and, and they're in the same, they're in the faith. Uh, yeah, that, that happens, absolutely. But to, to treat it as though I know the Lord and I'm close to God, but I don't want to have anything to do with you or, or what you're about just because I, I don't like your personality or I don't like the way you do things. That's, see, that doesn't make any sense. We've been called. We've been called to fellowship with the Lord. But at the same time, if you're going to say that, then you've called to get along with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It, it works together, right? So we're getting into it. In 1 John 1 and 5, the Apostle John says, God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. We, were, that's, we talked about that Wednesday night. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. This one verse provides insight into one of the many benefits of walking with God. His light illuminates the way and guides his followers to discover the life he offers. Meaning, in, 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 in the most simple and practical way, that God is light. So that means when you are going through dark times, he can illuminate or lighten the way to make things more clear. Anybody in here like clarity? Amen. Sure you do. We all like clarity. But take it from somebody who, who thinks a whole lot about situations and overthinks a lot of situations. Clarity is not found on your own. You cannot find clarity on your own. In fact, the more you think about it, the worse it gets. For all you overthinkers out there, you know what I'm talking about. And it becomes more complex. And the things that we enjoy, if, if and really it goes back to that old saying, you don't realize what you got until it's gone. The things that we enjoy we start to realize they don't actually come from anything that you and I can even derive. I can't manifest a peaceful mind on my own. I have to have God help me with that. Now, I can fight thoughts, and I can rebuke things, and I can, I can train myself along a certain path, but until something supernatural kicks in, um, I'm at the mercy of the flesh. I have to have God intervening and helping me with the direction that I'm going. You have to have it. You cannot go without it. And so um, the, the clarity that we're looking for, um, we often confuse with um, things in our life that we were fighting against and we're fighting for. And we say, if I could just, you ever said this before? If I could just get this out of the way, everything would be better. You ever said that? Because you're attaching your clarity to an event. If I could just get this, if, if this would just stop, then everything would be better. Now, now go back through your history. Just go back and think about every event in your life that was a big deal, and you said that to yourself. You said, if I could just get that out of my way, then my life would be a whole lot better. Well, eventually it got removed. Did it make everything better? No, you just moved on to the next thing. Amen. And it was just as complicated and just complex as before. So what is that saying? Saying that life is relentless. It doesn't necessarily give you a break. So the peace isn't, is not and cannot be manifested there. It has to be manifested somewhere else. It has to be in the spiritual realm. That's where the clarity is going to come from. It's going to come from God being with us, us in fellowship with him, right? Amen. Fellowshipping. Um, i got to get past this so we can get going. But the, the, the thing I, I want to make sure you understand is that if there is, and it's a real fundamental thing, in your personal life, if you are if if you're having trouble with things, trouble in the mind of, of keeping your thoughts centered where they're supposed to be, if you're struggling with some issues and different things of that nature, I've had a lot of conversations over the years with people. I'm not saying I took a, like a survey or anything, but I just I, I guess I took an internal survey. Is I ask very very fundamental questions about getting helping people get back on track again. How much are you praying? That's a question. How much are you praying about the situation that you're dealing with right now? How much are you praying about, about the thing that you're confused about or that you're fearful of or that you feel threatened by? How much are you praying about that? How, how, much, um, how much are you reading God's word and spending time in fellowship with him? Away from the problem. Away from the problem. Because that's, that's where we get it wrong in fellowship with God is that we think when it comes to resolving a problem that every time you come before God, it's a begging session. It's just begging God, please take it away, please take it away, please take it away. 
some of the experiences that I've been through with him in my own personal life in that it was hard to explain even at the time that as I come into prayer, I come in, I come in in a begging mode. I was like, I'm ready to ask him again to remove this thing from me, to get it away from me. But he kept dealing with me in the spirit, pointing another direction. I was like, what are we, well, look, I, I've got kind of an issue over here right now I'd kind of like to ask you about. He's like, no, no, we got, we got things over here we need to take care of. And so it pushed me in another direction. What I found was is that the fellowship with him actually superseded everything else in my life. That the problem really didn't matter as much as I thought it did. What mattered was, was just spending time with him. Just, just talking with him. Haven't you ever, haven't you ever, and I'm using this just as an example, haven't you ever sat down with somebody, and maybe somebody that was candid with you, that would actually talk uh, truthful with you. You ever sat down and talked with them, and they, and they told you that that seems to be the only thing you talk about? Whatever your hobby or whatever your thing is, you sit down with them, you say, man, you know what? Every time we sit down, that's all you talk about. That's all you talk about is this. Is our relationship not more than what you accomplished on the golf course or what you did over here? It's like every time we sit down, that's all we talk about is this. Now think about that for just a minute. Transfer that over to your Heavenly Father who wants to speak with you on a personal level. But every time we come into His presence, we, we're just begging Him. We're begging Him. We're begging Him. You see, that's not fellowship. That's, that's different. That's something totally different. Should you bring your needs before Him? Yeah. But don't don't think that just because he's a need meter that that's exactly where it ends. It's a relationship Amen. with him. It's talking. It's, it's it, this uh, personal um, exchange. Exchange. You talk to him, and then he talks to you, right? Okay. I took the long road to get that point across, but anyway, we're getting there. Key takeaways from today's lesson. I've never quite seen this before, but we'll go with it. The Apostle John knew Jesus firsthand, giving him unique insight into what it means to walk with God. You definitely want to, you definitely want to listen to somebody who's been there and done that, right? You definitely want to. <clears throat> Walking in the light of God's presence leads to joy. Practicing confession upholds fellowship with God. I like the second point, walking in the light of God's presence leads to joy. And the reason why I like that is because we talked about it in here before. Yes, I believe that joy is your, a part of your inheritance. When you repent of your sin and you get connected with God, joy automatically is yours. The only way you can lose it is if you give it away. It's the only way. So what I ask is, okay, how do I not give it away? And the answer to that is to keep staying connected to the person who gave you the joy to begin with. It only makes sense. Stay connected to the one that gave you the joy to begin with. Okay. Page two, let's read our scriptures. It's Haven. Go ahead, Marlon. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. 
he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Amen. Thank you. Page three, fellowship with the Father and Son. The first few verses of 1 John reflect the first chapter of the Gospel of John, where he provided clear descriptions of the many events he witnessed as he walked alongside Jesus. Considering John's Gospel adds significant value to the study of his epistles, Jesus is the one who existed from the beginning, the word of life, and the one who is life itself. John declared the apostles had experienced the very word of life. We can experience him as well. And so how do we, but look, let's ask this question though. How do you experience him though? Fellowship, right? Okay, that's, that's what the whole thing is about. It's about fellowship. So we, we, we come back to that. And you have to define that correctly, though, okay? You have to define fellowship correctly. You have to know what that is. You have to know what that actually looks like. And only you really know when you get to that place that's proper between you and God what that fellowship, what a healthy relationship of fellowship looks like. I, I, know, I know it on both sides. I know what unhealthy is. I know what it feels like to be distanced from him. I know what it feels like to not have spent proper time with him. You do too. And you also know what it feels like to be on top of it. Praying when you're supposed to be praying. Reading when you're supposed to be ready. Having the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man. All of those things wrapped up in one. You know what that feels like. But see, only you know exactly what it takes to get that sword sharp again. No one else can tell you. You can sit in service after service and hear in all the word that there is to get the good stuff. But until you finally master fellowship, it's really not going to go anywhere. Because fellowship is not here. Yeah, yeah, we come, we're talking about us. We come together here. That's great. I'm talking about when you're at home or you're on the job. You have to know how to fellowship with the Father. Yeah. It's got to be there, not here. That fellowship has to be something that's strong and that you master and that you get. Here is just the recharge center to kind of encourage you to keep doing what you're already doing. Right? Mm -hmm. This is not the whole tank of gas. It's, it's just a part of it. Mm -hmm. And so you learn and master those things on your own. And that's what furthers your relationship with him. Jesus existed with the Father from the beginning, even before creation. Then Jesus took on human flesh and people could see him, hear him, and touch him. The Father made himself known to us in the person of Jesus Christ and through Christ. He made a way for us to have fellowship with him. Well, and I love what the, le what the lesson is doing here because it's kind of going back and, and kind of giving you a glimpse and a reminder that we didn't used to have fellowship with him. And we've recounted that numerous times in here when there was a time when it was just the priests and God dealt with the priests and that was even pretty, pretty rugged and rigid. I mean, there were certain rules and things that had to be followed so they could even come into his presence. And I'm still, and I'm, I mean, I know that we're free, and I understand that we don't have to go through the priest, and we don't have to go through all those things, but it's a serious thing to be able to come into the presence of God. Now, you've been given full access, absolutely, but I, I also, on a personal level, if I'm coming before the creator of the universe, and I'm also coming before the one who, who set these rules in place back in the Old Testament that they had to come before him proper. And I understand that Jesus paid that price. I get it. But there's just something inside of me that wants to come before him with honor. With honor. Just I want to honor him because I'm coming into the presence of the king. It, it would be naive to think that I could just come any old lazy old way and present myself before the king and and listen I think it's kind of crazy if people think that they can just write that off and say yeah Jesus paid the price I can do it however I want man I think you're running over him I think you're taking advantage of him that's taking advantage of grace so I think you gotta come humbly I think you gotta come with honor and reverence and respect I think that's how you come into the presence of God even though we we come so easily, it's done so easily, I still think he deserves honor, right? Amen. He deserves it. Okay. Um, next part. Um, that's where I'm at, right? Yeah. As he began writing the first letter, yeah, the apostle wanted to remind his readers Jesus' teaching establishes authority on this topic of uh, mentioning the time 
he spent with Jesus. Having lived alongside Jesus, John understood the richness relationship between the Father and the Son in a tangible way. Jesus challenged his followers to love one another. Why? Why would, why, would he, why would there be a challenge here in John 15 and 17 to love one another? Why would he have to be challenging that? It's not always easy. Because it's not always easy. I don't hear an amen on that. Anyone agree? That's okay. You can amen that in church. Because we're not all the same, right? There's going to be some struggle sometimes. So there's going to be some encouragement. There's going to be some, maybe even some reprimand, you know, from time to time. Uh, to treat each other um, the way that God has treated us. Now, I realize that that is hard to stick to. I realize that. That's, that's something you're going to be working on your whole life. But rest assured that that should be... Now, you look at this scripture. I don't have time to get into this. You look at it scripturally, and you start to see how important loving your brother, loving your sister is, despite of... And I say despite of... Dot, 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 despite of... And regardless, because he loved us, and I realize that you're, we're playing a, a quite a dangerous game if you dismiss that, because not loving your brother or not loving your sister can actually uproot your salvation. If you don't believe me, you look at it. It's in there. It will uproot your salvation. You will think you know him. He says right here, he said in the scriptures, he said, you saying you know me? You don't love your brother? You don't know me. You're a liar. That's what you're telling the kids. I said, that is, a, that is a very, very powerful statement. You say you know me, but you don't love your brother. No, you don't. You're a liar. You don't know me. It's like, whoa, hey, that's too hard for me. <laughs> that's too hard to swallow. But see, how, how important is love then? It's like of the highest, should be of the highest priority. And we have got to, we have got to get away from the religious idea that Okay, I got saved when I was 16 or 18 or 21 or 15 or whatever. I've been in the church all these years. It doesn't matter unless you can continue in love, unless you can forgive. These things are, are very important to the Father and can, if we're, not, if we're not careful, they can take away the very thing that we thought that we had. Yeah, you thought you had it, but you really didn't. It's like the pastor's message on Wednesday. That's one of the things we're supposed to add to ourselves is brotherly kindness, love for Good. one another. And if you don't, then it's part of the list of things that you'll forget that you were cleansed from your former sins. Mm -hmm. And it's just part of the whole thing we're all supposed to be in. Yes. Yeah. It's a work. You're working on it, right? Amen. It's something we're working on. I think one of the things that gets us the most, I'm going to throw this in there and then we'll go. I think one of the things that gets us the most is because we're dealing with church people, even though we know that we have fault, we have, there's, at times we just have this perspective that other people just don't make those or should not make those mistakes or should know better. Haven't you ever struggled with that? You're dealing with somebody in the church house that you say they should know better than that. Of course, and so should you. <laughs> It's like it works both ways. It works both ways. So I mean, therein lies the struggle, but therein lies the truth too. It's like if I if I'm upset with you and I start to let myself get angry, that's a truth in and of itself. It's like I should know better than to allow it to fester into unforgiveness. I should know better than that. But we need to be reminded often that we need to be able to love like we have been loved. Okay, so. The fellowship we enjoy with other believers is based on the love we've uh, we've been shown by the Father and the Son. Yes, oh, that's a that's a high bar. Do we all agree with that this morning? High bar, super high bar. Okay, um, the love is self-sacrificing and fruitful. Self-sacrificing, yeah, it's it's like we're okay with it being self-sacrificing as long as someone else is being self-sacrificing. <laughs> that's okay. I, I get it. That's that's a hard one, but that's I think that's true, and I'll tell you why I, th I believe that is true. Because I believe everybody's flesh is the same, and everybody loves to get, but nobody really likes to give. Because that's just in the flesh. That's maybe it's not. Maybe you say that's not true though. I've been working on that, Tim. That's great. But you're, I'm talking about your flesh. Your flesh is wired to want to always take 
and to, not, to give as little as possible. Like we want to get everything we can, milk it dry, move on to the next one. Your flesh is, your, your flesh is, um, it's geared for evil. It is. It has to be trained. Everybody agree with that? Amen. Flesh has to be trained. It has to be beat into submission. Okay. Self-sacrificing, fruitful, not fickle. Is that what that says? Yeah, fickle. Make sure my glasses were right. What's fickle? Somebody tell me what fickle is. It's important. Fake. Okay. Fake. Fake. That's kind of a, he's true. That's right. He's telling the truth. Go ahead. Fickle's kind of you, you don't make a real good decision about stuff. You're either here or you're there, or you're right. a bit everywhere in between. It's a bit unstable. Yeah. It's instability on whatever you say that you're standing on. So it's kind of like saying, I'm your friend. But as soon as something goes slightly wrong, I'm out. And then as soon as things start to go kind of right again, I'm back. <laughs> you ever heard that? You ever heard the, uh, the saying, the crowd is fickle? Like the crowd opinion, it's fickle. Meaning it's over here one minute, then it's over here the next. They, absolutely, in politics today, it's absolutely true. It's fickle. Everybody just kind of just kind of floats around on whatever is the path of least resistance. It is not easy to stay devoted and dedicated to somebody despite their issues. Is that not what Christ did with you? Is he not doing that with you right now? Despite your craziness. Amen. Some of y'all kind of crazy, ain't you? <laughs> Despite that, he, does he still visit with you when you come to visit with him? Does he, does he tell you, I'm not talking to you tonight because you're crazy? <laughs> he doesn't do that, thank God. <laughs> Thank God he doesn't bring up those things. And thank God he doesn't bring up our instabilities and say, you know, you got a lot of issues. I really don't enjoy talking to you. <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta, you're over here one minute and you're over here the next. Now, think about this. He's not fickle. He's not fickle. He's devoted and dedicated to what he said. And so God is asking that from us to our brothers and sisters. Patience and toleration. Tolerance. Tanner, are you saying that I've got to put up with people? Yeah, I am. Because that's what we do. For what? For whose? For whose reasoning? For his. Because that's what he does with us. Think about it, church. I'm not talking about compromising sin and falling into sin. I'm not talking about that. It's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to the things about an individual that may frustrate you. Not in the sin category. Okay. Not in the sin category. Maybe they just got personal mannerisms that you just aren't real fond of. Tolerance. Tolerance. Forgiveness. Long-suffering. All those words that we really are not big fans of, but are true. Okay. It says, the love is self-sacrificing and fruitful, not fickle, and superficial. You've heard of people that are superficial, right? We can experience this deep spiritual connection with individuals of different ages, ethnicities, Education and socioeconomic levels, political views, and cultural preferences only through God's love, because God's love transcends all those things. All right, let's go to part two, fellowship in the light. The type of joy we experience in a close relationship with God is not based on our ever-changing circumstances. Oh, my goodness. Thank God. Oh. All right, let's admit some things. You do have, your life is an ever-changing circumstance, isn't it? It is. It's an ever-changing circumstance. It's always, it's going everywhere. It's up, it's down, it's left, it's right. It's all over the place. I can refer back to this. It's, God is always with us. So he's, ever, he's always devoted, dedicated to us. He's, he's locked in on you and your circumstances, and, and he's always there for you. So the lesson is saying the type of joy. Now, we're, we, we already come up with joy is a spiritual thing that we've gotten from the Lord, and that the only way we can lose it is if we give it away, right? We will agree with that. So the joy comes from him. The type of joy we experience in a close relationship with God is not based on our ever-changing circumstances, meaning that you could have a fickle perspective, going back to that instability again, you could have a fickle perspective in that is, if your life is not going the way that you want it to, then you're unhappy. You're frustrated. And I don't know what, you, what your view of that is. I don't know what you have to have in your life that needs to line up correctly so you can feel like you're happy or, uh, you know, vibrant and, and feeling like everything's going right. 
But you need to think about that for a minute because we're talking about joy. That's Remember, joy is this joy that we're talking about doesn't originate in the physical realm. It originates in the spiritual realm. So it's something that's given to you spiritually. Now, you own that because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's yours. You have ownership of it. So if, if it's a spiritual thing that we have in this joy that Christ has given us, why are we giving it away due to physical circumstances? <clears throat> spiritual thing, but we're giving it away due to physical circumstances. It's too valuable. It's too valuable of a thing to just give away. Um, as I've gotten older, um, as I've gotten older, I've, I've, I've been able to accomplish a lot of things in my life. And I'm very, very happy that God has allowed me. I've asked, for, I've asked for a lot of things in my life, and God has allowed me to accomplish those things. But I'm going to tell you something of, a, of the utmost truth that I have discovered in, in my own personal life is that one of the most valuable things, I put it at the, almost at the top of the top of all the things that God gives, is peace. I just want peace. I mean, you can, you can have accomplished everything, but if you don't have peace here and you don't have peace here, man, it's miserable. You can have everything. You can, you can be doing well in every aspect and every segment of life, but if you don't have peace, then it feels like it's all for nothing. This spiritual thing, right? A spiritual thing, something that God gives. And, and so I, I question, church, and I encourage you, don't be so quick to give away something of such high value for such ridiculous reasons. You've been given something precious and high, of, of high value. And so maybe some of us uh, this morning need to kind of go back and, and retrace our steps, realize, well, we lost our joy. Remember, it's in fellowship with him. We can get it back. But if you've allowed your physical circumstances to overwhelm you and you've allowed them to become bigger than they should, then it's being dictated. Your joy is being dictated by your circumstance. It's almost like it's almost like we're not, we, we say, I won't be happy. Y'all tell me if you ever said this before. It's a quote. I won't be happy until this is resolved. Yeah. I have said that many times. I won't be happy until this is resolved. Do you realize by saying that what you're doing? You've trapped yourself. It's a one-way street from that point forward, all based on a situation. See, with the joy, though, that we're talking about here is a spiritual joy that transcends those lines, that you can have joy and peace and all of those things, even though things aren't going very well. Even though you might be broke. Even though maybe your bills didn't get paid this month. Even though maybe, maybe the, the court date's coming up or that situation's getting close or, or the, the, the drama is starting to peak and I don't know where it's going to end. The, the joy that you and I have been given is something that transcends the event. It goes past it. Amen. And so you have to recognize when you've given it away and when you've allowed a circumstance to actually dictate the joy. Okay? That's just some good advice for you. Okay. Knowing our sins are forgiven by the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross opens the way for us to encounter God in a deep, personal way. John understood this close relationship based on joy. We are writing these things so that you may, be fully, that you may fully share our joy. Unending joy comes as we grow more confident of God's love for us. We grow to trust his love and believe he is working all things, <laughs> even the most difficult things for our good. This brings a joy that rises above our current circumstances. Okay, so we've, we've quoted that scripture before. You probably quoted it one time or another, um, that he's working all things together for your good, right? All right, how does that work? I'll tell you how it works, and it's, it's actually it's so simple that it's almost disturbing. <laughs> because it points out our deficiency. Because we're, we, we get too worried about what is good you say you're going to work it out for my good what do you mean by that what is that lord tell me because i want to know because this situation is so bad that i cannot possibly see where you're going with this that's because you keep trying to define what good is mm -hmm. stop trying to do god's job for him 
That's God's job. He said, I will turn it into good. Let God worry about what the good is. Let him worry about it. You got to stop worrying about it. This is where we're giving our joy away. We're giving it away because we're, we're drawing these lines and we're saying, Lord, <clears throat> Lord, I know what good is. And this situation will only be good if A, B, and C take place. Well, see, you've already established the good. And if those terms aren't met, then you're going to be very unhappy. You see, he said, I'll work it together for your good. I don't really know all of the details. What does it matter? The maker, the creator, the master of the universe is the one that's actually fighting and turning your situation inside out. So what do I care what he does with it? I know it's going to be great. Why do I have to define what good is? I, I don't have to define that. I'll let him do it. I hope, that, I hope this resonates with somebody in here because I believe we, I truly believe that we fight with that. We struggle with what the good is and we want to take the good out of God's hands, define it for him, give it back to him and say, meet those demands and that'll be good. See, that's, that's not the way it works. That is so funny that this just popped up because me and Danny, we were just driving the other day. We were doing something. I think we were doing something together. It was me and him. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I am just really struggling in this. And Danny's like, why are you so worried about it? Because you're overthinking it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, this is serious stuff. And he's like, you're overthinking it. Mm -hmm. And sure hey, you guys you guys are being honest about a situation everybody in here you know same thing yeah, ahead, I just didn't feel like I was good enough for him. Mm -hmm. that's good and I was like I just feel like I'm not good enough for him so and he's like you you know you're a child of God I appreciate you sharing that no no there's a humility in that yeah it's go ahead pastor go ahead that's a push for more yeah and that's what I told Danny. I said, I'm scared. And he's like, well, you should be, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I love the rationale of a husband. I love it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm not good enough. Now, that's a great place you're at right there. You really are. That, that's a, there's, a, there's a work of humility there. And yes, there's some emotions there that seem to contradict, but that's a that's a journey you're on right yeah. now that's leading you farther. That's great. Can y'all relate to that? Amen. Yes, that's good stuff. Thank you for sharing that. This brings a joy that rises above our current situ uh, circumstances. Light represents what is good and holy. Darkness represents sin and evil. Here John told us God is light, the very source of all that is right and pure. In him there is absolutely no darkness or evil, not even a hint. So those who are walking in darkness or sin are not walking with the Lord. Well, that makes sense, right? That makes sense. Now, what's the word here, though, that you need to get associated with? It's walking. That's it, brother. You got it. It's walking. Not, look, I'm not, I'm not watering this down. Please don't take this the wrong way. I'm not talking about the salvation experience, though. That's not what I'm talking about. That is an event that happened that brought you into the kingdom. Then there's the walk. It's everything that happens from that point all the way to the end of your life. It's the walk, okay? So you're walking. And so the, the, the lesson is saying here is that God is light, the very source of all that is right and pure. In him there is absolutely no darkness or evil or not even hint. So those who are walking in darkness or sin are not walking with the Lord. And that's where the confusion happens is they think that they can have an event, then walk any way they want, and they're still walking in the light. It's not true. You're not. You know, you think that in the essence, really, of the physical, walking in the dark is real dangerous. Yeah. You're going to get hurt. You're going to fall off the cliff. You know. Yep. In the comparison. Yes. Spiritually, it's an Yes. And so, so if, he, if, if, if the scriptures are telling us that he is light, then don't you want to stay as close to the light as possible? Well illuminated. Yes, well illuminated. Nobody wants to walk in darkness. So let's just make sure we're not confused on what light and darkness is and where we're walking. So because Jesus is the source of life and light, when we are in relationship with him, we are no longer blinded by the deceitfulness of sin. Oh, the lesson's bringing up sin. This has something to do with sin? Yes. 
Yes, it has something to do with sin. That's what walking in darkness, that's what we've been talking about. It's like, what is the opposite of the light? So if you're walking in darkness, what does that mean? Don't downplay it. Say, walking in darkness means that I just haven't been praying like I should. No, no. Walking in darkness means that you are back to committing the things that you had swore that you would not commit. You're back to doing the things that you know you shouldn't do. That's called sin. You're involving yourself in sin. That's walking in darkness. Now you're blinded. You cannot see. This is, this is very difficult for people to see because you can't, you can't rationalize things. You can't even rationalize them. The things that go on in the light, the things that God has shown you, the things that God has revealed to you, those aren't even rational things. I can't even debate you on, in my own brain, I've been through, I've had this problem before, trying to rationalize the things that God has seen and the things that I felt. They don't rationalize. You have to step back and see and understand that God has showed you a spiritual thing. He showed you a truth. And sometimes the mind just can't wrap itself around it. They can't. It's just that he, he's given this. He's shown it to you. And so here in these scriptures, or here in, the, in this, uh, the, the lesson, that we, we know that when we walk in light, we're no longer blinded by the deceitfulness of sin. It's out of the way. But if you're in darkness, you're walking in sin. Instead, we have the light of his truth to lead us to the life he offers. The writer of Psalm 119, 105 reveals this truth, describing God's word as a lamp to guide our feet and light our path. We absolutely have to have that. Walking in the light of God's word brings us uh, individually and also provides the basis of genuine life-giving fellowship with one another. Sin not only separates us from God, it also separates us from one another. Now that's good. That's good. Why is that though? Why? Why, why, why does sin separate us? Why, where's the separation? Because we, we just need to go ahead and remind ourselves of this. Why does sin, sin separate us from God? Let's answer that first. God hates sin. Makes you weak. Guilt. Why does it separate us from each other? Right. Now, let me ask you a question. This is, this is a rule of thumb. Not, not a rule. It's a gauge. It's a gauge. Look at it as a gauge. If you are distancing yourself from people that you have normally been in contact with that are fruitful to you and good for you, if you're pushing them away, you might want to look inside your camp. <coughs> There's a reason. See, this is a default. This is a default. I've noticed this being in church all these years. It's a default. It's what the flesh resorts to when it's doing something, whether externally or internally. Either way, I'm not saying that you're going out and doing uh, embarrassing things. I'm saying that is a default that kicks in. When we start to fall away from where we used to be, we start pushing the people away that used to be the closest to us in the spirit realm. Automatic. Happens every single time. Why? Because you're not, you're not, you're not uh, fellowshipping the same anymore. The fellowship is almost unequally yoked. It's different now. You see that? Have you ever seen that take place? Has it ever happened to you before? You was once connected with an individual or a, 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 um, numerous individuals, and y'all talked about the Lord, and y'all talked about spiritual matters, you talked about spiritual things, you talked about the Bible, you talked about all those things. And then all of a sudden one day you started feeling like, you know, I just don't want to hang out with them no more. I can get away from them. You found yourself hanging out with someone else. You found yourself spending your time with other people that didn't talk about those things. Why? What's going on? Something's happened. This is, it's, not a, it's, it's a physical thing that happens as a response to what's taking place in the spiritual. And it happens almost every single time. I could log it. I wish I had the logbook to show you. That when that happens, by default, the flesh goes and says, well, we're not involved with that no more. We're going to go over here. Look inside yourself. You tell me if that's not true. And that is gauge. Look, church, that's a gauge. You can gauge it. You can find out real fast. People that were involved in it, they're not so involved in it anymore. No you got you to do a checkup sometimes, church. You got to do a checkup. Okay. Um. Um, but as we walk together in the light of God's truth, we can enjoy relationships that encourage and sustain us in our pursuit of God. All right, part three. I'm going to make it. Fellowship through cleansing. Confession does not end when we start following Jesus. Every established relationship with God must include continual confession. 
When we confess our sins to God, John assures us that God is faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Isn't that good to know? Oh, man, that's good. We can, we can get this stuff off of us. We can just confess it and say, Lord, I've been struggling with this. I've been struggling with this. I've been, I've been going through this. Now, I believe that confession is not something that just happens one time. I, I believe that confession is a, is a lifelong thing because we're all imperfect and we all do things that we're not supposed to do and we all fall into things. Confession should be an all-the-time thing. But it's also one of those gauges, too. When I, when I confess to the Lord and I confess where I've been wrong at, it's a very emotional time. It, it's an emotional moment. And I can kind of gauge that. I can look back and tell you when I've had those moments with God. Well, let me ask you that question for yourself as a gauge and as kind of a a thing to look back on. When was the last time you confessed your faults to the Lord? When was the last time you got down with the Lord and you wept over your sin and you were ashamed of what you did? Because I've noticed this. The closer I get to God, the more I can't stand doing something that's against him and it just keeps growing and if I commit a sin it's like heinous like I can't believe I did that and I feel this grievance and shame I've done wrong I should not have done that and it's a time that I spend with the Lord I'm saying that because I believe that this part to some degree is missing in the church today is the self-examination of finding fault and realizing that we have upset and grieved the Holy Spirit, sinned against the Lord, and now we're going to come before him with our hearts and everything that we have and try to get things straight between him and I. We desire that greatly. But because of the uh, hyper-grace and because of all this new belief system, there's a lot of ideologies that have come into play that you don't have to do all of that stuff anymore. None of that stuff is essential. There's no reason for those confessions on a continual basis. I'm here to tell you that that is not true. There is still a call for confession, and there's still a call to recognize sin in your life, and there's still a call to, uh, church, to weep over it and to be ashamed of our sin and to be ashamed of what we've done. Absolutely still a call for that. Okay. Moving on. Um, one of the best ways to stay in a close relationship with the Father is to read his word and allow the light of his truth to shine a spotlight on our motives, words, and behaviors. Only then can we easily recognize our sinful behavior and realize our need for confession. We need to be quick to respond to the conviction we feel, right? Quick to respond. You can, you, um, you spend time with him. Anytime, uh, you've you you've probably could coin me on this this quote. I I believe this is my own personal belief on my own personal studies. This is not I'm not giving you a biblical thing here. I'm giving you my opinion. I truly believe that this is where the Holy Spirit has gone in the church today. Is because when you deal with the Holy Spirit, you have to deal with truth. And people are hiding things in their closets that they don't want to have to get rid of and they don't want to have to face. And they don't want to have to own up to. Therefore, when you come into contact with the Holy Spirit, there's only two options. Either let him have his way and confess the sin or hide it and bury it as deep as possible. That's the only two options you have when dealing with the Holy Spirit. I have known him for a long time. And I'm telling you, that's how he deals with his people. He deals with them. He's like, hey, I got something we need to talk about. I got something we need to, 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 we need to have an encounter. And you need to work these things out before we go any further. And so where has the Holy Spirit gone in the church today? He's still here, but he's not welcomed because he makes us look at the truth. And sometimes that's harder than people want to deal with. And people have to understand, too, that when it's your judgment day, he's going to call upon that because you... Did not confess it. Yeah. To him. Yeah. So people need to realize that too. Even though it's the worst thing you want to tell him, oh. he, already, he already knows. He already knows. Yes. So just confess. Mm-hmm. That's good. Because you're just going to stand upon him and he's like, well, how come he didn't confess to me about this? Yes. I, I believe we're going to be called out on that. Yes. We need to move on, but for the sake of this part of the lesson... Um, 
it's so individual, church. Do you not see the individualization in it? It's so individual. You can't hide in the, I call it like a like the bulk grace, like a, I call it bulk grace. It's like group, group faith, group grace. You know, you come in together. There's things happening. Sometimes people get comfortable in just the mere fact that they're in the presence of God and they see things going on and they see things moving and they were actually there to see it. So they think that's good enough. That's like a, a group thing. And leaning on the group thing, it's very individualized. Very individualized. It has to do with you and God. And then those individuals come together and they make up the church. And they bring those things in here. And so you've got to make sure that you're not leaning on the, that group grace and that group faith as a standalone thing. It has to do with your relationship with the Father. Not everyone else's. Yes. Amen. Not everyone else's. Sometimes when it comes to grace, I think people, it's like they're... I don't know, they're like shopping at Sam's Club or something. It's like, they're just going to get, they're going to buy it in the bulk. We're going to get it in the bulk and just get as much of it as we can and we think that'll, that'll take care of us. It's like, no, this is individual. You need to, you need to get those needs taken care of. Okay. Um, we need to be quick to respond to the conviction we feel as we make confession a regular part of our prayer life. We can experience unbroken fellowship with our Creator. Anytime we confess our sins to God, He will cleanse us. 1 John 1 and 9. Lead us to right thinking and help us grow more like Christ, because that's what you really want, right? You want to grow to be more like him. All right, one, just one more paragraph, and then we're done. <clears throat> John lovingly reminded his readers, including us, that Jesus is our advocate, our defender, and our redeemer. His sacrifice has paid the full price for our sins, and he stands before the Father pleading our case. No sin is beyond his forgiveness. Isn't that Amen. great to know? Amen. No yes. sin is beyond his forgiveness. Jesus promised before his ascension that he would send another advocate, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comforts us, leads us into truth, and convicts us of sin. That's his role. That's what he does. Paul also told us the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness and makes intercession for us in harmony with God's own will. When we understand the Holy Spirit's role as our advocate, we can be confident in his leading. Anytime we experience his conviction, we can know he is leading us to confess our sins and experience the joy of renewed closeness with the Father. So this morning, as we close, this morning we're going to be hearing the Word. Pastor's going to be bringing the Word. Now, I'm going to tell you it's going to be good, right? Amen. It's going to be good. But how do you define good? Do you, do you define good as a scratch? Feels good to hear that Word? Or... Is a good word something that leads us to be convicted? Where we hear something that is so good that we can see the fault within ourselves. And by that, we can repent. So glad that we have a setup this morning. This morning, the word is going to go forth. And we're going to get to hear it, and we're going to absorb it, and we're going to get to examine it in our own lives and figure out whether we're on the path or off the path. I encourage you this morning, here's our chance to take care of our issues and our things. If you've got things that need to be resolved in your life, if you have things that you need to confess, confess them at the altar. Get them out. Take the opportunity. Don't, don't waste any time. Confess those things and get them off your chest. As pastors pointed out many times, it's like, look, we're all in this together. People, I think sometimes they think, well, it's going to be weird if I go down there. Nobody knows why you're going down there. We're just happy you went. We're just happy you went. Out of time, guys. God bless you. Thank you, guys. Have a good service.